welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the February issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Preparing for Calving. To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Dr. Brian Vanderlei, who's a Nebraska Extension veterinarian and assistant professor in veterinary epidemiology at the Grand Plains Veterinary Education Center. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So as we look towards this spring, and I say spring, and it's, we just calendar year-wise got into winter, but as we think about this time of year, this is a time of year when I'd say 80 to 90% of calves are born between that January and May, June window in Nebraska. As people start to get geared up for calving, as they start to prepare for that, from a veterinary health perspective, what are some things that they need to be thinking through? So I think at this time of the year, we're, we're getting pretty close to calving. And, and as you said, the window is still relatively wide. Some people are maybe already started calving and, and some people are just entering the third trimester of pregnancy. And depending on where you fall in that window, your uh, ability to, to prepare may be uh, a little bit different. If, if you happen to be calving right now, the, the circumstances around calving have already pretty much been set. You're, you're going to get what you get, so to speak. If you happen to be calving much later, there's still some opportunities from a prevention standpoint to, to do some things. So a lot of the, the stuff around calving that I think about, there's kind of a critical sequence of events that we're, we want to happen. Everyone knows these things kind of intuitively, but we want cows to come into calving. We want them to have made some really good colostrum, which means they need to have uh, good nutrition, good body condition going in. We want them to successfully deliver a calf. We want them to get that done pretty quickly and without complications. We want them to quickly clean that calf off and stimulate it to get it to breathe and stand and nurse. In my opinion, one of the most critical events in any animal's life, especially cattle, is the ingestion of colostrum. So once that parturition, that calving event has taken place, we want that colostrum meal to happen quickly and we want it to be uninterrupted really streamlined event that packs that calf full of those protective antibodies that the cow made for it so a lot of the things that i think about in terms of prevention and management at calving time center around making those events go smoothly let's talk just a little bit about colostrum because i think that's one that obviously is critically important there's a lot of research that would support that the importance of passive immunity to that calf, not only early on in its life, but really as that animal extends out through production. What are some key things as we think about colostrum that you already mentioned cow nutrition and quality, but obviously sometimes we're in situations where maybe that's compromised and we don't, uh, aren't getting that done, whether it's weather events or uh, a difficult delivery. How can we do some things from a management perspective to intervene there and give that calf the best chance it can have. That's that's a good good point to make. So as as you've said, we, we're, I'll, I'll just go ahead and restate this one more time. The best prevention in this case, in in terms of colostrum quality in, in beef cattle, is to make sure the cows are in good body condition score and have had adequate nutrition, especially through the last three to four months of the pregnancy. So last trimester is the most important. That being said. The best fed cows can cabin into uh, poor conditions and there can be other accidents that result in some poor outcomes. And making 
sure that the, the calf gets colostrum despite those things is important. So some of the things to watch out for, there's a recent report that indicates that calves that go through any kind of dystocia, even if it's a really easy pull, you know, basically have to just put the chains on and give it a little tug to get it out or reposition something and give it out. Any, any calf that goes through any sort of dystocia like that is at a higher risk of, of a failure of passive transfer event. Calves that are born into cold environments, uh, hypothermia in calves slows everything down, makes the calf less responsive, and it actually slows the absorption of colostrum. So you've got a lot of those types of things. Anything that goes wrong can impair a calf's ability to be able to, to get up, nurse, and absorb the colostrum. And I think those are, those are three critical points that we'll address uh, one, at a, one at a time, maybe. The, the first one is the, the getting up part. The calf has to stand to nurse. Long, difficult labors in calves will actually cause a buildup of lactic acid in those animals. They, they get short on oxygen and go through anaerobic metabolism, which is just like what happens to us when we go through a sudden burst of physical activity that we're not used to. And you know how sore you end up being two or three days later. That's kind of how the calf feels. At least it, it seems like that affects them. It makes them sore and slow, and they, they end up with an acidosis for a little bit. And that slows their brain down and makes them a little bit depressed. That's the effect of acidosis in a calf like that. In situations like that, it's important maybe to provide a little bit of help. And we'll talk about how we help in a second. The second part of, of that equation is when they're up, their ability to suckle is, is really important to monitor. Calves can have weak suckle reflexes for a lot of reasons. Some of those are, are the one, you know, dystocia again hypothermia, the availability of colostrum can be a problem uh, in the cow. And then absorption is a third part of that. Lots of things can impair or uh, change absorption of colostrum. As a calf ages after it's born in the, in the first 24 hours, as long as they don't drink anything else, they have no other intake of food in the form of milk or even other things that they might try to nurse on like like manure or hair or anything in their environment, they can still absorb colostrum pretty well for up to 24 hours. The problem is if they, if they take anything in at all, that triggers the gut to start to close down. So we want to manage that situation so that we provide the colostrum if they can't get it on their own. Some strategies, first of all, identifying calves that are at risk. As I said before, calves that go any, through any sort of calving trouble, no matter how minor, are at much, much higher risk of having a dystocia. Calves that are born in cold environment also are, are very high risk. A, a quick and easy test to figure out whether or not you should intervene is to just stick a couple fingers in their mouth and see how well their suckle reflex is working. A normal calf, when you stick a couple fingers in their mouth, should suck pretty vigorously a few times. That's actually just a built-in reflex. They're not actively thinking about it. They should just do that. That's how they're made. And if they don't do that, that's usually an indication that there's some problems that are impairing their ability to nurse and absorb colostrum. And in, in those cases, best situation is to, to milk the cow out and give the colostrum that she made to the calf. And that doesn't work. Using a high-quality colostrum replacement product is an option or getting frozen colostrum, although frozen colostrum from another source is a pretty effective way to transmit diseases. And if you know the health status of the herd it's coming from, it's not as big of a deal, but I'd, I'd be very careful about that. So as you think about providing that supplemental colostrum, 
What's, in your perspective, a preferred method of delivery? I think, obviously, esophageal feeders are a pretty quick way to deliver that and, and know it got done. But uh, is that the most effective way, or should we think about some other option? It's a very effective way to get the colostrum in. The problem with esophageal feeders and other kinds of orogastric tubes where, you, you know, a bag with a tube on it or something like that is that the sucking action that the calf goes through when it nurses colostrum actually deposits the colostrum into the abomasum, the, the fourth compartment of the stomach, which puts it directly then into the small intestine, which is where absorption happens. One of the problems that's associated with the esophageal feeders or the tube feeding is that you can actually put the, the colostrum in the rumen where it has to be moved from the rumen through the intestines. And sometimes that colostrum kind of pools in the rumen. It's not a very big compartment of the stomach yet at that point but it will hold quite a bit and that will actually impair absorption. The other thing is that the, the reflex action stimulates gut motility and some other things that will actually improve absorption. So ideally, the best way to deliver colostrum to a calf is always through a bottle via a, a nipple so that they can nurse the colostrum. If that doesn't happen or if they're unable to nurse, I think it's much better to deliver it via an, an esophageal feeder or a tube of some kind than to not give it to them. So uh, we're, we're going for the best, which would be nursing it from the, the dam by themselves. The second best would be nursing it from a bottle. The third best would be delivering it via some kind of a tube. And I would recommend, if, especially if a colostrum replacement product is used through a tube, giving a, a little bit extra. So we're typically, when we give a colostrum replacement product, we're, we're aiming for about 100 grams or more delivered to the calf which is about a bag of a high-quality colostrum replacement product. Another bag delivered is, is not a bad idea in a calf, just to make sure, especially if it's delivered via tube. Share with us a little as we think about, you mentioned quality colostrum replacement product, and I think it's really critical to maybe define that a little bit and give some parameters because there's all kinds of products out there. How do you identify what a quality product is? So there's basically two big categories of colostrum products. There's colostrum supplements, and then there's colostrum replacers. Colostrum supplements tend to be a smaller dose of antibody, and the source tends to be different. So if you look at the ingredient label on most colostrum supplement products, you'll notice that there's spray-dried plasma. And essentially, that's a, a byproduct of the slaughter process for cattle. They, they collect the blood from slaughtered animals, separate out the, uh, the cells from the plasma, the liquid component. And then they take that basically purified plasma component and dry it, and then they add that to those colostrum replacers. So that's just blood antibody that's been dried out and put into the colostrum. And those certainly can be absorbed by the calf, and they can have some efficacy. Colostrum replacement products, the really high-quality ones, will have a dried colostrum from a, from a cow. So there are several companies that vaccinate cow herds and then and then usually these are dairy cows but they're very high health there's a lot of health monitoring that happens in these cow herds they vaccinate them against all kinds of pathogens including the scours pathogens and and then they actually collect the colostrum from those animals and and dry it down and add it to these colostrum replacement products obviously cows only make colostrum for a very brief period in their lactation which is why these products are pretty expensive because there's there's a relatively limited supply and, and a relatively limited number of companies that make those types of products. But those are actually the ideal products to use because they're providing actual colostrum in a dried form that you reconstitute to a calf. 
and then they have antibodies that were secreted in the in the natural process of making colostrum and they and they typically are quality controlled very well to make sure that there's enough antibody like i said you're kind of aiming for that 100 grams of ID, igg at least delivered to each calf and those products typically contain that you want to be really careful about reading the directions on any product like that that you give mixing temperatures are very important and then paying attention to how many doses are recommended. Sometimes each unit of the product is a half dose, and you would actually have to give two to achieve a full dose. So th this is a common veterinary direction, right? Read and follow the label instructions very carefully. It's really important in those products to do that. Let's shift gears a little bit, and we've talked about stress on calves. And obviously, as we record this, it's January, and so cold stress is often mm -hmm. one of the major enemies as we think about getting that calf up and getting him started. When we come up on a calf that's in a hypothermic state, kind of give us some thoughts around uh, best practices to try to bring that calf uh, back to a place where he has the best opportunity to thrive. Yeah, that can be really challenging. There's, there's a number of factors that, that cow-calf producers know that they have to balance, right? You've got, the, you've got a hypothermic calf Sometimes the best warming options are distant from the, the point where the calf was born and, and separating the cow and the calf is, is one of the, the options. Um, sometimes there's, there's other um, constraining factors. And then the types of warming that can be used, warm, there's these warming chambers that use warm air. Some people like to use a, a bathtub full of warm water. And I, I think all those can be useful. A couple of principles that I like to keep in mind are, are number one, is that the severity of hypothermia is important. So having a thermometer and actually measuring how severe, and I, I don't get too specific here. There's, there's kinds of two broad categories of hypothermia that I'm interested in. Number one is there's, on the, on the typical thermometers that you can buy at a drugstore, the rectal thermometers, their lower range is, is probably in the low 90s. So a 90 degree Fahrenheit lower range is pretty common. So if you have a calf, that doesn't register on one of those thermometers, you have a very severe situation on your hands. Those are, those are severe cases of hypothermia, and they, are, are, they need to be managed very carefully, and there's a pretty guarded prognosis for calves that are like that. If they're warmer than that, especially if they're just a couple degrees too cool, so normal temperatures is somewhere around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, they're 97 or above. There's probably some really conservative techniques that can be used. A warm dose of, of colostrum, if they can't nurse on their own, even getting them up and letting them nurse warm colostrum from the dam will often warm them up and provide energy needed to, to get their metabolism running, to, to kind of let them self-warm. Some other techniques that are available, if you have calves that the cow licked clean and are relatively dry, you can use blanket. They make special calf blankets that can be used to provide a little insulation for the calf to give it a little jump start in cold weather. They actually make some of the reflective types of blankets. Um, they're, they're, a really, they're kind of a disposable plastic reflective blanket for calves that can be pretty effective in, in those cooler, not severe hypothermia cases, but in the cooler ones. If they get below 97, 96 degrees, somewhere in that range, and they're really depressed because of their hypothermia, then they need to be warmed up with some external heat. That's when the, the warming boxes or the bathtub is important. And it's, it's always important when you think about hypothermia and how it works to remember that when the body gets cold, blood flow gets shunted away from the surface and to the internal organ. So using 
external heat sources can sometimes be relatively ineffective in really hypothermic animals because they've actually moved all their blood flow away from their skin and they're pumping it through their critical organs to keep them warm and functioning. So using warm air and warm water might not be as effective as giving a warm colostrum meal up front. So you kind of got to warm the core and then warm the rest of the calf along with that. So putting them in a warm environment where there's not wind chill, providing a warm colostrum meal and then and then giving them the opportunity to dry off is really important before they get reintroduced back to the cow. Dry calves are, are much more successful than wet ones. The bathtub technique is good. Just make sure that they're they're dried off before they go back out. Yeah, and I think I'm just going to throw in a little bit something here for people who are using the bathtub technique. I think it's uh, maybe important to recognize if you've got family using that as well, it might be worth getting a separate bathtub scenario and that's not shared by family. There have been instances where disease transfers happened, especially with yep. uh, calves to kids. And so you don't think about that in the middle of the storm, right? You just want to save calves. And I appreciate that. But having a separate or designated spot for those calves you're going to do that with is probably a prudent factor. It's a very effective technique to warm calves. But I think, especially in light of that comment, it's a very true one. Calves can shed quite a few bugs that are transmissible. Uh, Cryptosporidium is probably the most important one that ends up getting into people and it causes some, some pretty nasty illness in humans. Building a, a warming box or using the, the commercially available warming boxes are very effective ways to warm calves up. Um, they're also cleanable. Uh, the commercial ones are made out of high-density polyethylene plastic, so they're, they're cleanable and you can take them apart and clean them up and make sure that they stay nice and clean, which is important for calves that are a little bit compromised because cold calves don't absorb colostrum as well and maybe haven't gotten their colostrum yet. So it's it's important to keep those environments really clean. So those are good options. There's lots of ways to do that. A lot of people have kind of their favorite. Uh, I think the, the keys are, as you said, remember who else could come in contact with it. Remember that the calf has to be really well dried off before it goes back out. And that colostrum meal is really critical. If, if you take them away from the cow to get them warmed up, use that colostrum meal as an opportunity to help restore the temperature of the calf and also give it the leg up that colostrum provides. Kind of switching gears here, we jumped straight to colostrum and, and the importance of that, which is obviously critical, but there's some things we can do from an intervention standpoint, sometimes early on, uh, recognizing that that cow is having some difficulty during the calving process and uh, tending to that in a timely way can help reduce some of the stress to the calf. There's some good resources, Dr. Vanderlei, that are available at the beef.unl.ed website. We could probably spend a whole other set a time on that, but just kind of quickly, uh, what are some things producers should think through as they observe and assist cows or heifers at calving? Yeah, definitely utilize those resources. Spend some time uh, reviewing what, what the stages of parturition look like, stage one, stage two, making sure that you understand when, when cows are transitioning and, and what normal progression looks like. Those are really good things to review. Typically, my rule of thumb, once I, once I get a call from a producer, or what I, what I try to educate producers that I've worked with as a clinician in the past has been that in cows especially, uh, stage two labor, the active labor portion of the part, go pretty fast. So by the, by the time I see a water bag or feet, it shouldn't be very long, usually 20 to 30 minutes until the calf is completely delivered. In heifers, I tend to give them just a little bit more time, maybe, maybe 30 minutes to a little bit more just to give them some time to naturally dilate for that first calf. They they have to do a little more stretching than a, than a cow that's already had a calf. 
but I don't, I don't tend to wait a long, long time. I want it to, if, if I see progress, I'm happy. Uh, if the feet are, are progressively coming out or, or I see a nose appear or something like that, that, that gives me confidence that things are progressing. I don't want it to go too long. There's a tremendous amount of art in judging uh, the progress of labor and whether or not you should intervene. I try very hard to err on the side of giving the cow an opportunity as long as she's making headway. That being said, if something is wrong, the quicker we intervene, the more likely we're going to have a successful outcome. A couple of rules of thumb for intervention is, number one, if, if you're going to intervene, be clean. Nothing is worse than contaminating the uterine environment. That puts the cow behind. She's got to now fight an infection in addition to trying to raise a calf and, and struggle through that first few weeks of lactation. And uh, we, we want to try to limit the, the damage to the animal by intervening. So clean gloves, which is another important health consideration for people. There's several pathogens that get shed during or around the time of calving that can be pretty important to people. And having gloves on is an important uh, preventative tool. Clean equipment. Those calving chains are pretty hard to clean really effectively. So making sure that you take some time to, to clean them well and, and have some disinfectant available to soak those things in to make sure that, that you've got them nice and clean and disinfected is important. And then uh, learning how to assess calves. And I think this is a good place to work with your veterinarian, be able to assess, you know, how big is the calf? Is it going to come through the pelvis? Is it malpositioned? And learning how to describe that to a veterinarian can help the veterinarian provide good advice about whether it's something that a producer should tackle on their own or have it addressed by the vet themselves. Experience is helpful too. We all know that people who have calves a long time can kind of feel their way through that stuff a little bit better. But one of the best pieces of advice I have for everyone, uh, producers and veterinarians, when I teach vet students, teach them to, uh, to assess, make a plan. If the plan is, is not executable quickly, then quickly make a new plan and, and move on to that one. So what I mean by that is I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to pull a calf that might not come when a C-section might be a better opportunity because the quicker I make that decision that I can't get it done and move to the next step like a C-section, the more likely it is everyone will, will walk away from it, including the cow and the calf. Um, spending a lot of time mucking around in the uterus makes a more contaminated environment, stresses the cow and the calf, makes it more likely that bad outcomes are going to ensue after, after it's all said and done. So making decisions, deciding pretty quickly what the best plan of attack is, trying that plan out, and if it doesn't work, uh, quickly moving on to a new plan is a, is a good recipe to make sure that you get as many successful outcomes as you can. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article we discussed today, Preparing for the Calving Season, and in that article, you can find links to additional information on this topic.